I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with you to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, that's an easier book to find. That's the first book of the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 18, if you have some sermon notes, you have some blanks to fill in this morning, if you'd like to do that, that's available for you as well. Now, as you're turning there, let me ask you some questions as we begin here. And again, these are kind of rhetorical, which means don't, don't yell out any answers, but just think through these questions as we begin. When was the last time someone broke your heart? When was the last time someone hurt your feelings, ripped you off, gossiped about you, slandered you, disappointed you, lied about you, or just plain offended you? Look, if you live long enough, sooner or later, you're going to be hurt by someone. The question is not whether or not people are going to hurt you, whether or not people are going to do you wrong. The question is, how are you going to respond when they do? Whether the offense is severe or maybe not as severe, the truth is still the same. Your response to that offense will lead you to one of two destinations. It will either lead you to freedom or it will lead you to bondage. You'll either be free or you'll be in chains. And look, if you like to take notes, now's the first time to fill in some blanks here. If freedom is desired, if that's what you want, if freedom is desired, then forgiveness is required. If you want to be free, then you have to forgive. You may not be able to stop people from hurting you, but you can forgive them when they do. And I know as soon as I say something like that, I read your mind and you start thinking something like this, forgive them after what they did to me? Derek, you don't know what they did to me. If you knew what I'd been through, if you knew what they said about me, if you knew what they did to me, then you'd understand why I can't forgive them. Look, I get it. May not have been through what you've been through, but I get it. I understand how difficult it is. But I do know as well that there is freedom in forgiving. And as we continue our sermon series that Pastor Josh has been leading us through on being compelled, this morning we're going to talk about being compelled to forgive. And the text that we're going to use is found right here in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Now understand, there is no way that we can cover everything there is on forgiveness in the hour and a half that we have left in this service. <laughs> now you laugh, but I've got some folks here, some dear friends from Amory here this morning, and he ain't lying. I can, that's what they're thinking. But look, we can't talk about all there is about the forgiveness of God and all there is about forgiving other people and even all there is about forgiving yourself in the time that we have here. 
And so with the help of God's Spirit, I'm going to do my best to be as concise yet as clear as possible about what it means to be compelled to forgive. Here in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is going to tell a story about forgiveness that I think makes it plain and clear more than any other story that you'll find in Scripture. And if I had to summarize this text with one sentence, it would be this. Followers of Jesus forgive like Jesus. And so this morning, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then you must forgive like Jesus. Our text begins with Peter coming to Jesus with a question that I think all of us in this room and watching online can relate to, because I think it's a question that all of us have asked at one time or another. In fact, you may be even asking it right now. Here it is in verse 21. Then, and the then is important. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then Peter came to Jesus, and here's the question he asked. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Now, this is just Derek speaking. The text doesn't really tell us, but I don't think this is a random question that Peter just happens to ask. We learn a lot about Peter from Scripture about his temperament and about how he always puts his foot in his mouth and he always speaks when he shouldn't and stuff like that. And you see, Jesus up to this point had been talking about a brother who sins in the church. Now you just have to back up a little bit and you can read that. Then he says, Jesus says, if there's a brother who sins, then you should go to that brother to gain that brother. Obviously, to seek that brother out and to forgive them. Then, the text tells us, Peter comes and asks this question. And so I can't help but wonder if maybe Peter has somebody in mind when he comes to Jesus and asks him this question. Maybe Peter has somebody in mind who's wronged him and he's forgiven them several times already. And maybe Peter thinks, surely there's got to be some limit to forgiveness. I mean, we can't just keep on forgiving people and forgiving people and forgiving people for the same thing over and over and over and over again, can we? Look, when you read this, and you may want to read it again, Peter has one big concern. Peter isn't worried about forgiving someone too little. Peter's worried about forgiving someone too much. Peter's wondering, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me before I can just beat the living daylights out of them? We know his temperament. Peter wants to know how much junk he has to take off somebody. When do you quit turning the other cheek, Jesus? How many times do I need to forgive them before I can make them pay for what they owe me? Anybody ever said that? Don't raise your hand. Anybody ever thought that? I mean, maybe there is a face and a story behind Peter's question. And maybe when you hear Peter's question, 
a face comes to your mind with a story behind it. And maybe Peter's question is one that you would like to ask. Yeah, Jesus, how far is too far? How much is too much? I mean, when is the hurt that's been done to me greater than the forgiveness that you want me to give? In other words, Jesus, when does my forgiveness run out? Peter wants to put a limit on forgiveness. Peter wants to know how many times he has to forgive someone when they sin against him, but he doesn't wait for Jesus to give him an answer. (laughs) He already has one ready. You read on in verse 21, Peter answers his own question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now there's no doubt when Peter asked this question, by the way it reads, that he's looking for a pat on the back. There's no doubt that Peter's expecting Jesus to give him a high five or a fist bump or something like that for saying such a statement like that. I know it appears maybe to some of you that Peter might be like being a smart aleck here, like up to seven times. But when he really asks this question of Jesus, he really thinks he's being spiritual, even generous with his forgiveness. Derek, why do you say that? What makes you think that based upon what we read? Well, back in those days, the rabbis taught that if someone hurt you, If someone abuses you, if someone offends you, you're obligated to forgive them three times. And after that, there's no more forgiveness. So forgiveness back then, the rabbis taught, was limited to three times. It's the old three strikes and you're out rule. So Jews their entire life had been taught that if someone hurts you, You have to forgive them three times, but that's it. Then you can retaliate. You're to forgive someone three times, and on the fourth time, man, you can do whatever you want to do. So for Peter to say up to seven times, that's impressive. Think about what I just said. He's taking the going rate of the day, which is three. He doubles it to six, but even throws in an extra one. Makes it seven for good measure. So no doubt, knowing Peter, that he's expecting Jesus to commend him. Peter, seven times. Wow. That's incredibly generous. Why can't all the other disciples be like you, Peter? And I'm sure Peter's expecting Jesus to give him a pat on the back for having such a big heart and for being so spiritual here. But I want you to see how Jesus responds. As usual, Jesus gives an answer that's not only surprising, but it's stunning. Look what he says in verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Another translation says, and you may have it, 70 times 
7. What? Peter can't believe his ears. I mean, the rabbis say three times. Peter suggests seven times. And now Jesus comes back and throws out there 490 times. I had to get my calculator out to figure that one out. 490 times. Understand that when Jesus says, and your translation may say it, 70 times 7, he's not giving Peter a math lesson. Understand that. He's not saying, Peter, you're to keep a tally. Put that person's name down. Keep a running lines or running check marks, however you want to do it. Keep it up to 490 times. And when you get to 491 times, then you can take somebody out. It's not what he's saying. Jesus is telling Peter on your message outline that forgiveness is not a matter of math. In other words, you don't keep tallies. Forgiveness is a matter of mercy. The number 490 isn't specific here. Jesus is using that number for emphasis. What he's communicating here is that God has called me and you as followers of Jesus to keep on forgiving endlessly. Jesus is saying that as many times as they sin against you, you forgive them. And again, you may be thinking, a little kickback here, you may be thinking, but Derek, look how many times I've forgiven them already. And I would say, no. You don't think that. I'll show you what I mean here in just a moment, but Peter thinks that if someone sins against you and they repent and you forgive them, and then they do the same thing and repent and you forgive them again, that you can say, that's two. But here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you can't keep score. If somebody sins against you the first time and you forgive that brother, then you're promising never to hold that sin against them again. If they happen to do it again, you can't say that's two. You've got to say that's one. Peter wants the old seven strikes and you're out. Jesus is saying It's not even 490 strikes and you're out. And look, church, the fact that Peter wants to count the number of times that he will forgive someone shows that he doesn't understand what true forgiveness is. To forgive someone is to show the love of Jesus to that person. And here's what Paul says about love in 1 Corinthians 13, which I think goes right along with this tally. Paul says, love keeps no record of wrongs. So every time you forgive a person, no matter how many times that person hurts you, how many times is it? It's always the first time because all the other times are gone because love keeps no record of wrongs. So you don't keep records. You forgive as many times as forgiveness is 
needed. If someone hurts you, and I use the word if, I I should say when, but if someone hurts you, if someone hurts your feelings, if someone talks about you behind your back and you find out about it, it's your duty to forgive them. And notice I said the word duty. It is your duty to forgive them over and over again. And I know a little kickback again. You're saying, Derek, wait a minute. What do you mean it's my duty to forgive them over and over again? Why is it my duty to forgive them over and over and over again? I'll tell you why it's your duty, because that's how God forgives you. On your message outline, I'm to forgive others because God has forgiven me, and I'm to forgive others as God has forgiven me. And Jesus knows how difficult this is for us. And so what he does is he tells a story, a parable. The word parabola in Greek simply means to lay alongside of. And so what Jesus does when he tells a parable is he takes some kind of truth and he lays it alongside some kind of object or story. And that's what he does here. He wants to help us better understand his command to forgive. He's like, Peter, let me show you what I'm talking about. Now, before we look at the parable, let me give you what some things in the parable represent because it will help you understand the parable better. On your message outline, you may want to write these down. The king that you're going to see here in the parable represents God. The servant that you're going to see in the parable represents me or you, a follower of Jesus. The unpayable debt represents my sin that I owe God. Got it? Here we go. With that understanding, Jesus begins the parable. Look in verse 23. Therefore, anytime I've told you before, anytime you come across the word therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. Based upon what Jesus just said to Peter about forgiveness being endless. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. So Jesus begins his story by talking about a king who wants to settle up debts, and a guy is brought to him who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents back then was an astronomical amount of money. To give you an idea of how much that really is in the economy of that day, a man would have to work 20 years to earn one talent. So if this guy owes 10,000 talents, he's going to have to work 500 years to be able to pay back all the money that he owes, and that's without any interest tacked onto it. Now that was a staggering debt that this guy owes. The amount he owes is is so enormous that it's on the borderline of what the ancient mind would have been able to conceive back then. A talent was the highest known denomination of currency in the Roman Empire. And 10,000 was the highest number for which the Greek language had for a particular word. In other words, Jesus couldn't have described a larger debt that this guy owed. The point is, listen carefully, this guy owes a debt that he will never ever be able to repay. 
He is in an impossible situation. There's no way he can ever pay back what he owes. And that's exactly the point at this stage in the text. Now let me bring it home. This man's condition illustrates our condition before God. What do you mean, Derek? All of us are 10,000 talent debtors. We've accumulated a huge debt that we owe to God. And as you can see in this story, Jesus compares our sin debt to God as being so great that we could never repay that debt ourselves. This man has such a great debt that he cannot repay. And we read in verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant is crushed by the severity of the impending judgment that's just been pronounced upon him. There's only one thing he can do. He does what any of us in this room would have done. He casts himself completely on the mercy of the king. Look in verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Look, for this guy, this is no time for excuses. Unless something happens quick, this man is a goner. So he starts to beg, and he even makes a ridiculous promise in saying that he's going to pay back everything that he owes. He could never do that. We've already talked about that. So this man's case is hopeless, except for one thing. The king is a man of compassion. Look in verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him or had compassion on him. Canceled the debt. I've got these two phrases underlined. Canceled the debt and let him go. I did that because there are two verbs that you see there underlined. One verb in the original language is translated cancel the debt. The other verb is translated, let him go. Both of them could accurately be translated as to forgive. And so what you see in this one verse, in verse 27, is the definition of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is the cancellation of a debt. Letting that person go. Releasing them of the offense or the debt that they owe you. So the king not only takes what the man owes him and releases him of his debt, he also forgives him of his debt. The king forgives the debt. I want you to get this. He forgives the debt, he cancels the debt, and he lets the man go. The man now owes the king what? Nothing. The king forgives this enormous debt, this unbelievable amount, and the man walks away scot-free. So let's recap, because I'm about to move in into the harder part of the message. We love this part. Like, yeah, preach more, brother. Let's recap. A man is brought before the king. 
He owes the king 10,000 talents. He can't pay, and hearing the judgment pronounced on him, he falls on his knees and begs for mercy. The king has compassion on him, forgives him, and cancels his debt. The man is forgiven of a debt that he cannot pay. The debt is canceled, the man is released, the books are cleared, and nothing is left hanging over his head. Not only is his debt forgiven, but his debt has been forgotten. Now you would think... That since he's been forgiven of a debt that he could never repay, that he would be quick to forgive any debts against him, whether big or small. Wouldn't you? Before we read the next set of verses, I want you to see that statement. Forgiveness is a lovely idea. Until I have something to forgive. We like forgiveness when it is shown to us. We struggle with this part. Look how the guy who just got forgiven responds to somebody who owes him. Verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, hugged him, and forgave him of everything that he owed him. And just, just checking, just seeing if you're awake. Grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. This may sound familiar. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Which makes me think, if he couldn't pay the debt out of prison, how's he going to pay the debt in prison? Anyway, this story, church, I'm being honest, it makes me shake my head. It makes me shake my head. Because I wonder sometimes how much I'm just like this guy. First, the king sets this man free and erases an enormous debt he can't pay. We've talked about that. But now, in the very next sentence, we see the guy who's been forgiven of his debt grab another servant by the throat and demand that he pay him back what he owes him. You pay me what you owe me or else. Now here's the amazing thing too I want you to see. How much does this guy owe him? 100 denarii. To show you what a small price that was. One denarii was one day's work. And so 100 denarii is about 100 days wages. 100 days, 500 years. This same person who just experienced forgiveness of a debt he cannot pay refuses to show forgiveness towards someone who owes him. And rather than extend the same kind of forgiveness that he's just been shown, he ruthlessly demands full payment of what is owed him. And you might be thinking, how could this guy do such a thing? How could this guy be so ungrateful? How could anybody ever be so ungrateful? I don't know. 
You tell me. Because many times we're so much like him, aren't we? I mean, God has forgiven us of a debt that we could never pay. And then we turn around and refuse to forgive all those little offenses that come our way. Please don't answer this question or these next questions. But how many times have you been unwilling to forgive someone for what they did to you? How many times have you lashed out in anger at someone else for hurting you? I wonder, how many times are we just like this guy? We want our debts forgiven. But when it comes to forgiving someone else, there is little or no compassion that we show. This guy misunderstood what had just taken place in his life. He owed a debt that he could not pay and the king paid a debt that he did not owe. May I say to you, that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He forgave you and I of the massive debt that we owed. And has been said many times, I don't know by who, but they said, I owed a debt I could not pay and Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. Let me ask you, do you really fully understand what has taken place in your life? Do you really understand that because of your sin debt that you owe to God, you deserved to go to hell? But praise God, Jesus took your debt. He nailed it to the cross. He paid it in full and he released you of your debt. Do you really understand the magnitude of what happened? God has forgiven us of a debt we could never repay and then we turn around and refuse to forgive someone of something they do to us or something they said about us. We are just like this guy after all, aren't we? I want to encourage you to not ever minimize the debt of yours that's been forgiven. Because, and on your message outline, I will forgive to the extent that I appreciate how much I have been forgiven. Your willingness to forgive is in direct proportion to your remembrance of how much you've been forgiven. The best incentive to forgiveness is to remember how much God has already forgiven you. Think of how many sins he's covered for you. Think of the punishment that you deserve that didn't happen because of God's grace and God's forgiveness. Here's a statement for you you may want to write down. If I ever see what Jesus did for me, then I won't magnify what someone else did to me. To understand what Jesus did in forgiving us and then to refuse to forgive someone who wrongs us, listen carefully, it's to be just like this wicked servant that we see here in the text. Because he's been forgiven so much, he's not willing to forgive someone of so little. See on your message outline. Nothing that I have to forgive can ever faintly or remotely compare to what I have been forgiven. 
And Paul says in Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And I underline this last part because here's what compels us to forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because you are a forgiven person, you are obligated to be a forgiving person. See, when you refuse to forgive someone else for a wrong done to you, not only do you lower yourself to that person's level, but listen carefully, you put yourself on a higher plane than Jesus. If Jesus has forgiven you, how much more are you to forgive those who have wounded you? Here's the key. Don't miss this and we're about to drive it home. The key to forgiving others is to quit focusing on what they have done to me and to start focusing on what God has done for me. Well, guess what? Back in the text, somebody saw it happen. Somebody saw how much the king had forgiven this guy and what the guy did in not forgiving the other man. Word got around. You know how it goes. Soon everybody's talking about it. Look in verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. I don't want you to miss this last part of the text because I think this is where some of you are. Then the master called the servant in. You, and I've got it underlined, wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Do you see how the language has changed? Before, this guy is just called a servant. And now he's called a wicked servant. Look, having an unforgiving heart can turn you into a wicked person or it can reveal that you still have a wicked heart. Notice what happens in verse 34. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back what he owed. And what's Jesus saying here? He's saying that those who refuse to forgive will become victims of torture. You're thinking, Derek, what kind of torture is he talking about? He's talking about that inner torture. That inner torture that comes from holding a grudge. From harboring hatefulness. That kind of torture, and some of you know this, that kind of torture that steals your joy. That kind of torture that robs you of peace. Listen carefully. Unforgiving people always end up in prison. Because there's a temptation whenever you're hurt by somebody to hold a grudge. There's a temptation to be unforgiving. 
And when you hold a grudge and you become unforgiving, then bitterness sets in. And bitter people live in prisons of anger. They live in prisons of guilt. They live in prisons of depression. You mark it down. Refusing to forgive will make you a bitter person. It will make you an angry person. It will make you an unloving person. And it will make you a joyless person. And the thing about an unforgiving heart is that I don't hurt the one that I'm not forgiving. I'm just hurting myself. Because on your message outline, unforgiveness is like me drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. That's what happens when you refuse to forgive. And don't miss the fact that this guy was in a prison of his own doing. It was his own fault. The king had delivered him from prison, but the servant put himself back in prison. Some of you remember Andy Griffith? You remember the show? You remember Otis? What would Otis do? He'd come in. He'd look at the sheriff. He'd look at the jail cell. He'd go over to the wall. He'd get the key. He'd unlock the door. He'd open the door. He'd put himself in the jail cell. He'd close the door and lock himself in. You remember that, don't you? I believe there are some of you here today who find yourself right now in a prison of your own making. A prison of bitterness. You're enduring the pains of prison life such as stress or hardship or a bitter heart or poor health and you're going to continue to deal with that until you deal with the sin of unforgiveness in your life. The worst prison in the world, listen to me, is the one that you create with your own bitter heart. I'm convinced of this truth. The question is, are you ready for it? Here it is on your message outline. An unforgiving spirit is the mark of an unforgiven spirit, which is the mark of an unforgivable spirit. Like I said in the beginning, forgiveness leads to freedom. Lack of forgiveness leads to bondage. We see it here. The king takes this man, throws him in jail, where he will be tortured because of his unwillingness to forgive. If you do not forgive, you are the one who suffers. Do yourself a favor. Cancel the debt and let it go. And the funny thing about forgiveness is when you forgive someone, you release them and in the process, you set yourself free as well. Matthew West is one of my favorite contemporary Christian singers. I love his song, Forgiveness. Here's what he says. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner is you. And just in case anybody missed the point of application, Jesus adds the next warning to all of us who struggle with this issue of forgiveness. He says in verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Talking about throwing in jail, the inner torment unless you forgive your brother. And I've got it underlined from your heart. Your forgiveness must be genuine. Your forgiveness must be sincere. It's not enough just to give, forgive outwardly, just kind of with spoken words. It's got to come from here. 
Our worship team is going to come in just a moment, but let me kind of drive this home with this kind of an illustration because here's what we do. Well, I shouldn't say here's what we do. Here's what I do. Maybe I shouldn't lump you into this category. We like to collect debts. What I call IOUs. We keep records of every time someone offends us. Someone offends us and what we'll do is we'll write their name down. John Van Gorkum. I'm just being prophetic. So I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we write their name down. And from that point on, whenever they do something to us, we put a check by their name. And every time we think of them, we think, boy, do I owe you. How many of you, don't raise your hand, please. How many of you have IOUs this morning? Here's what I want to encourage you to do time to deal with those IOUs. So I'm going to ask you, just just bow your head where you're at. Right there where you're sitting, just bow your head. I want you to mentally take out a piece of paper and at the top, I want you to write IOU. And then I want you to start listing everyone that has offended you, that you think has offended you, that has disappointed you, everyone that you think has hurt you, everyone that you think has mistreated you or gossiped about you or whatever. Write down all those people that you haven't forgiven. Now, while you're making your list, go ahead and write my name down. Because somewhere along the way, down the road, unintentionally, I'll probably offend you. I'll probably disappoint you. In fact, I may have already offended you by preaching this message. So start with me. Go ahead and put my name down. Then put the rest of the staff down. Put the elders down. Put the deacons down. Put your parents down. Put your spouse down. Put your children down. Put your teachers, your friends, your boss, etc. Because sooner or later, you're going to be hurt or offended by somebody on that list. Now, after you've gotten all those names written down, go ahead and raise your eyes. Raise your head, open your eyes. I want you to write Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 across that list. What does that verse say? That verse says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Then I want you to take your list, that IOU list that you made, and I want you to rip it up. I want you to cancel the debt. Why? Because that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is tearing up those IOUs. And when you start doing that, you yourself will be set free. There's nothing more freeing than being forgiven and there's nothing more freeing than forgiving.